Well, we'll be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Today marks our eighth week in this chapter, our 24th week in this book. And if you're new around here, you may be wondering, why are you going so slow? Well, I reckon every part of the Bible I go through, I go through slowly. It took us five years to go through John, and I checked, we're on the exact same pace in Genesis. So, I want you to get comfortable. You can bring in a Snuggie, the blanket with the sleeves, makes it look like you're in a cult. Get you some old man slippers, cup of coffee, put your feet up and just enjoy the ride. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Let's begin by reading verses 6 through 13. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Over the last four weeks, we've considered these sets of verses, 6 through 10 actually. And there is way too much to try and recap. If you missed any of it, please go back. You can watch them online on our Facebook site, or you can listen to them through our podcast and website. But I want to mention from last week, we focused on how God, how He comes to the garden after they had sinned. And it's just a precious thought to begin with that God would even desire our company and our fellowship. But when God arrived for fellowship, He finds Adam and Eve in hiding with aprons of fig leaves to cover their shame. God desired to fellowship with them But in their sinfulness, they are now afraid of their Creator. He had been nothing but kind and loving to them. And they're afraid of Him now. Sin had destroyed the closeness they once enjoyed with God. Their fellowship was now broken. All that Satan had promised them when he tempted Eve ended up being a lie. They're they're hiding for their lives. What did Satan say? Ye shall not surely die. And yet they're in fear for their lives. He said they would be elevated as gods, and yet they've never been lower at any point. He he promised their eyes would be opened in a good way, and it's only been open to evil. He promised them knowledge. The best they can come up with is to hide in their aprons made of fig leaves. 
Now they're being held captive by their sin. They feel hopeless, afraid, confused, ashamed, and they're hiding from the only one who can help them. And I want you to notice what temptation, giving in to that temptation can do in your life. It completely twists your thinking. Once you've given in to that, it, it, it makes you do things that don't make sense. Can you imagine trying to hide from God? That doesn't make sense. But instead of God arriving in anger like they suspected, God comes calmly walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And He asks the question, where art thou? Obviously God knew. Remember that when God asks a question to us, He's not seeking for information for Himself. But He's wanting us to learn something about ourselves. And He says, where art thou? Because God wanted Adam to see the condition that he was now in for the decisions that they had made. And verse 9, we saw last week, is such a great verse because many people believe God's hiding from them. That He's hard to find and He's out of touch. And that we have to do all we can to to search and to find God. And yet what we find here in, in the beginning of the Bible is that it is God who seeks after sinners. It is sinners who hide, hide from God. It is God who's seeking after sinners. He seeks us out and He makes Himself known. They're in fear, but we find that our God is a kind, merciful, and gracious God even after we sin and mess things up. We'll see consequences before it's over with. But God is so good. He is so long-suffering. Amen. He is so compassionate. They deserve to die instantly. And yet the death will take time, but it will come. And God is so full of compassion. Did you know God specializes in picking up the pieces of your broken life and putting it back together? And, and not only that, when He picks up the pieces and He puts it back together, He puts it back in a way that He's conforming you into the image of Christ. Whoop! What a blessing. And also understand, it is God's delight to put you back together. So we closed last week. Where are you? God wants a relationship with you. So much so that He sent Christ to die on the cross for you that you might be reconciled to God. He shed His blood so that your sins might be forgiven. So do you know Him as your personal Lord and Savior today? Do you? Do you walk with Him? Do you talk with Him? He's waiting for you. That was all last week. Let's revisit verse 9 for today. Somebody said, well, that's your problem. You keep revisiting verses. The Lord God called unto Adam. Now, why does God call Adam and not Eve? To, to understand the answer to this, we have to revisit some thoughts and some verses we've previously covered. And, and to get somewhere with this thought this morning, we need to agree that God had a very definite purpose in how He ordered creation. You know, God does not move without purpose or plan. What he does, he does on purpose. He has a point for everything he does. He has a reason for everything he does. And we find that God created the man first. And, and he made the woman second. 
This is for a very definite purpose. God had an order He was establishing from the very beginning in the first family. Remember when God created Adam, He gave him the command concerning the trees in the garden. You can eat of all these trees you want, but of this one tree, don't eat of it. And He gave that command to Adam, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And He gave that command before Eve was formed. And so how was Eve supposed to get the instruction that God had given to Adam, answer simple. Adam should have been instructing his wife. Amen. There is a very strong implication of that here. He should have been teaching his wife what God had taught him. And so he was to be the spiritual leader in his home. But I believe he failed his wife by not fulfilling his God-given role and responsibilities to correctly lead his wife in, in spiritual matters at least. It was God's expectation for Adam to be the leader in his home. Now how do we know this to be true? Well, remember God created Adam first, then the woman. And you may be thinking, well, the order is not that important. But you can believe to God it was very significant for this is how He did it. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Why? Why, Paul? For Adam was first formed, then Eve. It's important to recognize that when the Apostle Paul refers to the order of creation, he goes all the way back before sin entered the world. Adam was formed, then Eve. It speaks of creation. And then Paul goes on to apply it also to after the fall. In the very next verse, he would write in 1 Timothy 2.14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So not only was male leadership established in the order of creation, but we also know this to be true by the fact that Eve did not name Adam, but Adam got to name the woman. (laughs) Both before and after the fall. Listen, you think it's easy being up here, it's not. I'm just giving you the Word of God. (laughs) Genesis 2.23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. That's pre-fall. Before sin. And then God gives us the example again after the fall. We read in Genesis 3.20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And you may recall from a previous message that I've given in this series already, the ability to name something or someone is an indication of a person's ability to exercise their authority over another. That's why we get to name our kids. We saw in chapter 1 how God called the light day, the darkness He called night. God called the firmament heaven. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called He sees. Why did God get to name them? Because He has the authority to do so. In Numbers chapter 32, verses 37 and 38, And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eliah, Elila and Kerjath 
Kerjath Aam and Nebo and Baal Meon. And then it says, their names being changed. And Shibma and gave other names unto the cities which they builded. Why did they get to give the names to the cities? Because they're the ones who built them. They had the authority. Amen. If I were to put a flag in our yard, this would be Brooksville. Amen. Or if we were back home in Georgia, it would be Brooksville. We find this principle also in the book of Daniel. During the Babylonian captivity, four men are mentioned as having their names changed from Hebrew names to Babylonian names. Daniel 1, 6, and 7. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. When they were given their new names in Babylon, the Babylonians, namely Nebuchadnezzar, is saying, I'm in charge here. I'm over you. I have the authority in your life. Of course, before the book was over, God was going to show them who ultimately was in charge. Amen. And, and so the fact that Adam is allowed to name his wife, woman pre-fall, Eve post-fall, it indicates that God placed Adam in a position of authority, not the other way around. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, men, your God-given leadership is not to be abused by you becoming some male chauvinist. Don't get your life and marriage out of balance because you think you get to be some kind of tyrant. Because this whole subject this morning, it's not all one-sided. Genesis chapter 1, we, we obviously covered this, verses 26 through 28. Listen to this again. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So what we find is God gave dominion to both of them, the man and the woman. And, and there was equality. That's key. There was equality. Re remember that God made the woman from Adam's side close to his heart. He gave the woman to be his helper, not his slave, and not his ruler. The woman was created to be the completer of man. Therefore, in terms of value, both the man and the woman are equal. Just consider our triune God. We see time and time again throughout the gospel accounts that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. He even said, not my will be done, but thine. Hebrews 10.7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And, and understand this, that when Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, He never gave up one iota of His deity. Clearly then, Jesus' submission to the Father was in terms of role, not in value. Jesus submits to His role in the Godhead, but all are of equal value. Likewise, a woman's submission to her husband 
is in terms of her role, but not in terms of her value. It's submission of her function and not her ontology. And so both male and female were made in the likeness and image of God. God then transferred His dominion to them over the earth, both man and woman. Therefore, in the beginning, what we find, certainly pre-fall, what we find is there was neither chauvinism or feminism. But they were in harmony living with one another. I knew this was going to be tough for me this morning. Y'all just act like you're interested in enjoying this. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about the wife, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, weaker vessel doesn't mean less important. In fact, back in the day when you had china cabinets, your china cabinet, you know, it might be full of really expensive dishes that would be considered a weaker vessel. You don't want to mess those things up. So, you know, when the longs come over, we break out the wooden dishes, right? <laughs> but when the DeGarmos come over, we break out the fine china. No, 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 that's plasticware for y'all, sorry. Sorry, it's plasticware. Weaker vessel doesn't mean less important, not smart, not capable. It doesn't mean she has nothing meaningful to do. It doesn't mean that she's inferior, but she is to be handled with care. She is to be handled with honor, given honor, being more delicate, both physically and emotionally. Amen. Most men could probably beat up their wives. There are exceptions. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of you remember Levine Larson, but she could have beat me in a fair fight. Um, When she would shake that old rancher wife, you know who I'm talking about? She'd shake my hand and I would fall to the ground. And women are just weaker emotionally. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing, but I remember back when I first started pastoring and we didn't know how finances were going to shake out. I had just retired from the military. Some of you know what that transition is like. Just an unsure time. And so Adrian was thinking about going back to work to help out. And she did for a few months. And then the time leading up to that, I remember saying, you're about to go back to work. (laughs) I'm going to miss my kids. (laughs) Just weaker emotionally. I had fun with it. Amen? I, 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 <laughs> all right, all kidding aside. Now, I, I quoted that passage to show you. It says, husbands and wives or men and women are both heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, listen, men, we're not going to a better heaven. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, if my wife wasn't there, boy, it'd be great. Uh, We're all going to the same heaven. We're all heirs of the grace of God. And in case you're wondering, we're not married in heaven, okay? Everybody chill out. Somebody's thinking we've gone Mormon up in here. But we we are all the image bearers of God. But still, in terms of authority, God placed the husband in leadership. This is God's planned authority structure. It is the structure that we find Satan unseating here in chapter 3. When Eve gave to her husband in verse 6, and he took of it, at that point, he should have been exercising his God-given leadership role in the home. But he failed. Knowing full well what he was doing. As we already said, Eve was deceived, not Adam. Adam knew 
what he was doing without deception. He was supposed to be leading his home in spiritual matters, but instead he was following his wife into sin. And then everything that God had established was broken down because of sin. There was not only a breakdown vertically with God, there was a breakdown horizontally within the home. And I want you to see this morning, there was a breakdown in male headship. And Satan has not ceased his attack on male headship of the home today. If anything, he's ratcheted it up. I know you're independent Baptist, but if you happen to have a TV... You know, and if you're really backslidden and you pay for cable, uh, you, you know, you see, <laughs> you see it on TV, don't you? The man is just a bumbling buffoon. If anything, it's ratcheting up in the 21st century, Satan's attack. And, and there is an all-out attack today on the patriarchal home in our society. And here's the problem. It's not only in our society, but it has now entered the church. There's a movement today known as evangelical feminism. And it's the belief that men and women can and should exercise the same roles in the church and in the home. As a result, evangelical feminism seeks to abolish all gender distinctions in a marriage and in a church. In other words, how dare anybody suggest that the man should be the head of his home? Of course, it's in the Bible. But the response from evangelical feminism is that it was never God's original design. And that gender roles were only a result of the fall of mankind. But they say God never really intended it this way. And so all the verses that we find in the Bible that say clearly God's design for a patriarchal home... The man's role in the home, the woman's role in the home. Those are all post-fall verses, and that's not how God has intended it. I've already spent time establishing to you pre-fall, post-fall. Listen, male headship was around pre-fall, it was around post-fall. It was in the beginning, it was after sin. Consequently then, contrary to modern day theology, God did in fact ordain male authority in the family prior to sin entering the world. But what do we find in many areas of modern Christianity today? We see there is great passivity among men. We see it here. Now, we're very blessed here. We have a lot of families who want to be structured God's way, and, and, and we've been very blessed, but, but we see it. There is an observable pattern within Christianity today. It seems to be prevalent in many churches where the ones who are most concerned about getting to church and getting their kids to church is the wife. That's a fact. The husband, he's only begrudgingly dragged along. Let's make sure mama's happy. I'm getting tired of hearing, you know, you need to be in church. I just got to keep her off my back. I'll go. I'll sit there. I won't even look interested. When volunteers are needed... Women almost always step up. But how hard it can be at times to find faithful men who will not only step up, but will step into the role that God wants them to fulfill. And in fact, that God's created you to fulfill. 
it's not just a pattern in churches, but it's observable in, in homes. The man will just sit back passively, and he essentially forces his wife to step up as the spiritual leader in their home. And the roles have become reversed. No wonder there's problems in the home. You're not structured God's way. And I can't help but wonder, had our society kept God's original intent for just these simple gender roles, if we wouldn't be in the gender mess we're in today. And so we see in chapter 3 here, there is a breakdown of male headship within the first marriage. And Satan exploited that breakdown to his advantage. Therefore, in verse 9, we don't find God calling out to the woman. But God calls out to the man. Even though Eve sinned first, even though she gave to her husband and Adam sinned second, God still here does not call out the wife for accountability, guys. He calls out the husband. And look at verse 11. God continues to address the man. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? So why would God single out Adam if Eve sinned first? Because Adam was to be the leader. He was to be the authority in their marriage. And when an organization falls apart, you don't go after the janitor. Sorry, Tiffany. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being a janitor. I I, I miss those days, frankly. I miss being able to sit out there and just be like, yeah, we'll listen to him for an hour and we'll go home. But listen, when, when when a company falls apart, you don't go after someone at the bottom. You go after the top. Amen. I saw it throughout my military career. And I know you men have as well that were in the military. He goes after the man. If we would just allow the Bible to speak for itself, then it's easy to see how evangelical feminism or the feminization of Christianity, you could call it that, within churches and home, it is totally contrary to the Word of God. It's clear male headship did not originate after the fall, but it was God's design from the beginning. Therefore, God addresses Adam and not Eve in our text. Why are you harping on this, preacher? Because I do a lot of marriage counseling. I can tell you that if you would just get these fundamentals straight, a lot of your problems will be solved. We're not going to try to get further. I want to conclude by asking you, how is your home structured? Men, are you fulfilling God's role and design for your life? And ladies, are you fulfilling God's role and design for your life? Both of you are equal in purpose, but each of you have separate roles. The one is to complement the other, and that's just the way it is. And if this seems too offensive for you, don't get mad at me. I'm just a messenger. This is God's word. Take it up with him. And, And I'm well aware of how this teaching in our culture goes completely against what we're being told out there. But we cannot allow our culture to supersede the Word of God. I don't care what the issue is. You go with the Word of God. So men, do you need to step it up? If your wife has been forced to pick up your slack, then it's time for you to get right with God. Be the leader God created you to be. 
You may be intimidated by that, but if you will follow God's plan, I promise you He will bless. And ladies, if your man does attempt to lead, you need to allow him that responsibility. And if you're further along spiritually, like most wives are to begin with, then demonstrate that by yielding to his leadership. He won't always get it right. And if you're intimidated by that, if you'll follow God's plan, God will bless. We all experience struggles in our marriage. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I remember Adrian knew someone, they, they never fucked. I said, well, they'll be divorced. Sure enough. Just bottled it up until it bleh. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We all have struggles. And all of our problems come when we drift away or even depart from God's word. If both the husband and the wife will simply implement what is taught in the Bible, there will be harmony in your marriage, in your home, and that will lead to harmony within the church. But in closing, men, I want you to see from our text, when things go wrong, God is coming to you for accountability, not your wife. It's your home. Now lead it like God instructed you to do. And if you will, I can tell you from my own personal experience after 26 years of marriage next month that it, you will have a blessed marriage and a blessed home if you'll just follow God's plan. Let's pray.